expand, if you will, sir. Very good to have you today. Thank you, Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Good morning. We are happy to be here, back in my home state, Ohio. And uh, I'm a Buckeye. And uh, born up around Canton. Well, I was born in Canton. And uh, lived there till I was 11. Then we moved to Indiana. And that was okay. Lived there till um, 2006. And my, my work transferred me behind the Iron Curtain. I moved to Illinois. And, uh, man, that was no, that was, that was different. Yes, sir. But we lived over there for about six and a half years. I was an assistant pastor at a church over there. Um, I worked for UPS Freight and then was a volunteer assistant pastor there. And um, when we left there, moved back to Indiana in 2013. And I always, I always joke because when we moved back to Indiana, I had to go get my driver's license renewed or changed to my state. And so the same day, I went and applied for my concealed carry permit. And when I did, they told me, they said, okay, well, your driver's license, you should have it in the mail in two to three weeks. So they give you a picture and then they mail it to you. So when I did the permit, they said, all right, you're looking at um, four to six months minimum because there's such a backlog on them. Wow. Four days later, I had my permit. Two weeks later, I finally got my driver's license. I said, now this state has their priorities right. <laughs> they, they got this taken care of. But, but, um, but Ohio is my home, and we always look forward to any opportunity that we get to be here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to preach to kick off a revival. They had different preachers coming in. I was the first one and preached in Atwater, Ohio, where in 1984, yes, November 1984, at that church, I walked the aisle and surrendered my life to be an evangelist. Wow. And that was the first time I got to go back to that wow. church. Amen. And that was so exciting. It's, um, the, they're in a different building, but it's the same people. The one lady, she's 97. 90 something, 97, I believe. And she walked up and said, Monty, I remember you, little Monty. You were always a little skinny thing. <laughs> I said, well, your memory's not that great then. So, <laughs> But I was. I was tiny. Um, but, uh, but it was great to see them and still faithful, serving God and reaching their community. But thank you, church. Thank you for the room, the basket, the gifts. Um, your generosity toward our ministry is just overwhelming. Um, thank you for the meals, the fellowship. We've really enjoyed um, getting to know uh, some of you and seeing the response to the antique Bibles. And we will have that set up for a little while afterwards, and yes, then sir. we'll have to um, get packed up and hit the road. we got about a four-and-a-half, five-hour drive ahead of us this evening, and uh, we'll be preaching down there tomorrow in Hazard. And it's my wife's home church, yeah. and um, she, she knows it's, it is a rough, rough community. But God's still working there. God's still moving there, and people are still getting saved. And God is blessing that church. And my wife was reached through the bus ministry there, uh, uh, Brother Sam Fugit. Amen. Uh, when he started the church down there, they reached my wife through the bus ministry, and Amen. we are very grateful and thankful. We've started several bus ministries with different churches, and we encourage churches that have buses or vans. There's there's a result right there. And we just get Good. to see that everywhere we go and get to, to encourage people to continue with that. But thank you, church, again, thank you for your faithfulness here. Um, my dad passed away December 21st, 2011. And when he did, just a couple days later, I was sitting at his desk, and I opened his desk, and there was notebooks. And the one in the middle, I pulled it out, and it was a notebook. And in that notebook was a list of about 220, 230 pastors. And that was one of my dad's prayer lists. Yes, sir. And that day, I took that notebook and began praying for this church. Mm -hmm. 
and praying over that list. They say, God, you took my dad home, but these pastors still need prayer. And began praying for each one of those pastors. And I just want to say thank you for standing true. Maintaining your standards, your stand on King James Bible, soul winning, reaching your community. We've seen several churches that have not. And I can, I want to say from my heart, thank you this morning. Um, preacher, thank you. Thank you for your friendship to my dad. Um, I felt like I knew him before we actually got to meet and talk because I'd heard your name so many times. And my dad talking about the ministry here and the work that was being done and just um, thankful for that. And I'm going to get going here because I will get bogged down and get super emotional. So anytime I stand behind a pulpit in a church where my dad preached, it's, it gets emotional for me. And um, so we are, we're going to get going. If you would, turn with me to Psalm 26. Psalm 26. And Pastor said lunch is at 11.30, but we're going to go ahead and set the clock back. So we have an extra hour hour of preaching. He said extra hour of sleep, which I guess for some people, if it's extra hour of preaching, to some people that would be an extra hour of sleep, though, wouldn't it? Um, But we'll try not to this morning. Uh, Psalm 26. Begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in even place, and in congregations will I bless the Lord. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for another day that you have given us to serve you. Lord, I thank you for this church, for their stand here. Lord, I I thank you for these folks that have come out this morning. And those that will listen, Lord, I pray that you will please use me in somehow, some way, through your strength, through your wisdom. Lord, to bring your message to your people. Lord, I ask that you would please just encourage us through your word. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I want to look at the thought, publish the word. Publish the word. The word publish means to make known to mankind. To send into the world. To make known by posting or reading out loud. As Christians, we have a responsibility to publish the word. I start here in Psalm 26. We're going to look at several passages. But I want to start here. Um... And just a quick background of what is going on here. When when David is writing this psalm, David is running for his life and hiding in a cave. Saul is still on the throne. He's still in control, but David has been anointed king. Saul is spreading lies and getting the people that David loves, his own family, his loved ones, his own kin, to chase him down and try to kill him. And he is running for his life and he's hiding in a cave. I would say he's hit rock bottom. He's he's at a very, very low place. He he knows what God has for him, but he's not going to go and kill Saul and take the throne. He's going to wait on God's time. He's doing it correctly. He's following God's will. And so God is using him here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen these words. And he starts with, judge me, O Lord. What a great thought for every one of us to start our day with these words. Judge me, O Lord, for one day we will all stand before the judge, before God himself. So why not allow him to judge us now according to his word that he's given to us and allow him to judge us now so it can be corrected? Um, Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what we believe. 
yes, for reproof. Yes, sir. To show us the error of our way and for correction. Yes, sir. To see and fix. How, we see where we've gone wrong, but how to fix it. And for instruction in righteousness, how to continue to live our lives according to God's plan for each and every one of us. He says, for I have walked in mine integrity. He starts the first verse, integrity. The word integrity means purity, genuine, unimpaired state, moral soundness. There's something missing in our country today, and that is people of integrity. We need to be trustworthy as Christians. We want God to, if we want God to use us, and we want people to listen to us as we tell them about God, as we tell them about Christ, we have to be trustworthy in all of our dealings, in our business. We should be the hardest working person in the shop. We should be the the honest person earning our pay every day. We should be honest in all of our dealings. You you think back, I I like to watch the old black and white westerns, and they come in with with all the cows, and they meet up with the buyer, and they would make this, you know, what today would be millions of dollars worth of contract and the, the, with the buyer and then the cowboy look at him and say, okay, well, you get your lawyer, I'll get my lawyer. Well, no. How'd they steal the deal? They shook hands. A man was only good, as good as his word. But today, you go try to buy a house, try to buy a car. You're going to run out of ink before you're done signing all the paperwork that goes with it because nobody's trustworthy. But as Christians, we should be, I've heard people say, I, I helped some people in our, in our home church flip houses. And there, so I got to work with a lot of different people. And, get, and there was home, or, you know, uh, people that owned all these homes that would say, well, I'd rather not rent to a Christian because the last two burned me. No, what it should be is, man, if I can get a Christian in here, I have no doubt that these bills will be paid. And that's how we should live our lives because then you go and try to talk to them about Christ and what are they going to say? Now they can trust you. We had a young man, I I taught uh, high school math for a few years and um, I had a young man in my class there that they would mention his name and they'd say, you know how you can tell when so-and-so is lying? His lips are moving. What a horrible testimony to have. And that young man now, and I worked with him, I talked to him, the principal talked to him, the pastor talked to him. We still talk to him. I stay in touch with him today. He's married, has a child, another one on the way, and has not held a job for more than three months at any place. That's pathetic. Because he can't. Because he cannot tell the truth. He, he just will not tell the truth. And then he, goes, then he shows up for soul winning. Yeah, well, he already has this, this reputation in the community as being a liar, untrustworthy, not going to show up for work. Can't count on him. Right. And then he's going to knock on your door and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Help us. No. No, you can't. Because I can't believe a word you say. Right. Why would I trust you about that? Exactly. So we see the importance of our personal integrity. Amen. If we want people to listen to us, we must stand for truth, stand on truth, stand by truth. We must be a person that can be counted on. That's good. He goes on. He says, I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. You know, our life today in, in America, we're looking at the lack of integrity. And we look around us and we know that we are living on a giant adult slip and slide. <laughs> Everything is sliding all over the place. Everything is changing everywhere you go. And, and Satan is constantly trying to distract us to get us to look away from the main thing, Christ, yes, from reaching people for Christ. He's trying right. to get us burned down, bogged down, right. overworked, burnt out. But we have a God who's alive. He's given us His living Word that we can get into every single day that will wake us up. And God has promised, when you trust Christ as your Savior, He lifts you out of the miry clay, out of the slippery slope, off of that, and puts your feet on a solid rock. We will not slide. And He tells us, Therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. He said, Try me. He said, Try me, O Lord, every day. I want you to improve me. Prove me. Test me, Lord. I want to serve you. That's good. He said, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. Mm. That word loving kindness. That word was not in English language till 1535. Miles Coverdale of the Coverdale Bible was helping translate the Bible. And he came to this word, uh, these cases, and he said, there's no English direct. I, I need to find a word that will help cover this. 
Loving kindness, the definition of it now, is giving oneself fully with love and compassion. There you go. Steadfast love. There you go. Miles Coverdale said, that is my God. He is a steadfast love, and He has given His Son, who was willing to give His life to die on the cross for me and for you. He said, that is my God. He is a God of loving kindness. If you look up the word loving kindness and see... um, the, the uh, synonyms, how many words that would go with that. Usually I do a lot of word study, a lot of word search, and, and usually there, there could be up to 15 or 20 words that'll, that'll go with a word, and then there's some, well, this is close, whatever. You look up this word, there's over 230. Wow. Wow. Kindness, good. loving, mercy, grace, over 230 that's, words. That's right. Because that's our God. That's who we serve. That's who has allowed us to serve Him. That is who our priority is. He said, I have walked in Thy truth. We walk in the truth that God has given to us. I'm trying to to hurry up here a little bit. Verse 4 and 5. He said, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go into assembly. He said, I'm not going to fellowship with the wicked. I'm not going to spend time with them. Yeah, we go out, we try to reach them, but we don't go out and hang out with them. Right. How many people say, oh, Jesus hung out with the prostitutes and the wicked? No, He didn't hang out with them. He went to them. Right. He spent time with them, teaching them and helping them and changing them. Right. But if we try to go out here in this dark world where God told us come out and be separate, and we try to go out and fellowship and spend time hanging out with them, and then watch as you will change. God said, no, you spend time with me and we go out and reach them and bring them to Christ. But verse 7, or verse 6, I will wash my hands in this innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord. That word compass there means to surround and focus on. To point toward the altar of God. We all have need of the altar. Whether it be a family altar a personal altar, the church altar, we ought to be focused on the altar where we do business with God. We, we allow God to change us and we make commitments to Him. We make decisions for Him and we seal that at the altar. He said, all of this for what? That I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. He said, I want to live my life this way so that I can publish how great God is. I can publish and tell you the wondrous works that God has done for me. And where is he at when he's saying this? In a dark, cold, damp cave with people chasing him down for his life. Wow, it's amazing. He said, but I'm not dead. I'm still alive. I still have breath in my lungs and a voice in my heart. A voice in my mouth. So can I tell you about my God? Can I tell you how great he is? The wondrous works that God has done and that he will do. Amen. That is the God that we serve. He said, let me tell you, let me publish, let me make known how great a work God has done in my heart and my life, and He wants to do in yours. Amen. He said, Lord, I've loved the habitation of thy house. I've, I've loved the house of God. The habitation where God is at. We, we love coming to church. We love spending time. The place where thine honor dwelleth. And then back down in verse 11, but as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Amen. He brings it right back to the integrity. Let me tell you about God, and you can trust me, because I'm going to stand firm. He said, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me, be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. He said, if I have an audience, I'm going to tell them about God. I'm going to tell them about Christ. I want them to know, because... God took me off of the slippery slope. He put my feet on the solid rock. He's put me back in the even place. And I want to use the voice that I have to tell you about Christ. If you would, turn with me now to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We'll turn to Mark chapter 1 and begin reading in verse 40. Mark chapter 1. Verse 40, the Bible says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Verse 41, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will 
be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Jesus is going through this community. He's going through this area. And there's a leper. And here's a leper over here, supposed to stay in his leper colony. He's not allowed to round the people who are cleansed. He's supposed to stay over here, and if anybody who's healthy comes by, he's supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean. Yes, he has this outer cancer that is eating away at his body that there is no cure for. There's no hope. He is walking death. He has rags that he would wipe the pus from those sores to try to get some sort of, of easing from the pain. But God, he heard about a man named Jesus. Amen. And he came and he cried out. He cried out to Christ. He said, if thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion. Amen. Good. What is moving you today? That's a good question. Do we have compassion in our hearts toward those who need Christ? Jesus himself was moved with compassion. Put forth his hand. He said, oh, I will. I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. It wasn't that he said, Jesus, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus said, oh, I will. He was moving compassion and said, be thou clean. And he looked down and he saw the sores start healing up a little bit. He started feeling a little better. And Jesus said, oh, I need you to go over here and, you know, need you to gargle in salt water every day. That's what my mom always made us do for whatever we had a problem with. <laughs> He didn't tell him, you know, take two acts. No, no. When Jesus healed him, he healed him completely right now. Immediately healed. And that man looked down and said, man, there's something different. I'm changed. Jesus has made a difference in my life. And look, I am 100% healed. I'm clean. And Jesus said, okay, now I want you to go to the priest and follow the law. and Tell Moses, present yourself everything like I told you to do. Don't tell anybody else to get there. He said, how can I not tell anybody? The Bible says he went out, but he went out and began to publish it much. Yes, sir. He walked and he turned around and he said, look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did for me. Every step he took, he was telling somebody else, look what Jesus did. Jesus changed my life. Jesus healed me completely. Jesus has given me new life. And can I tell you about the one who changed me completely? Yeah. And the Bible says he published it much and to blaze abroad the matter so much that Jesus, there wasn't enough room in the city for all the people that were coming to him. He had to go out to the wilderness. And the people were lined up because one man got serious about what God did in his Amen. life. And friend, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if you have not, you still have the disease of sin. And you yourself can do nothing about it. There is nothing in this world that can heal you from that sin. But God. Right. But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet yes, sinners. Yes, Christ died for us. And we needed Him to die for us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We have a disease that will send us straight to hell. But God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me and for you that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. We trust Christ as our Savior. For the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is eternity in hell. But we don't have to face that because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And when you trust Christ as your Savior, when you call on His name, you accept that free gift of eternal life. That gift that Jesus paid for with His death on the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. Glorious resurrection. Amen. Proving victory over death and hell. Proving He had paid your sin debt and mine. Now, you call upon His name and you receive eternal life right now. Amen. Not, 
okay, you made the first step. Now go start working on it. Now you have to do that. No, no. You receive eternal life right now. God paid the price. When he died on the cross, he cried, it is finished. That temple veil was rent from top to bottom. God provided us access, direct access to the throne of God. We have that access today. So God, through his compassion, offers to us eternal life. Are we willing to take that life and publish the word? To publish it much. To go out and tell others. To make it known. This man could not help but tell what Jesus did for him. And we ought to have that same burning desire in our heart that we want to go out and we can't help but tell somebody about Jesus. We can't help but tell them that Christ died for them. That their only hope of eternal life is through Christ. And look what He did in our life. And let me be a witness to tell you. A witness is someone who tells what they themselves have experienced. That they have seen and heard. And if Christ has changed your life, we ought to be willing to be that witness. To go forward. And it says to blaze abroad the matter. Brother Cox talked about that little spark of revival in our heart. That little spark that starts in my heart and in yours individually. And that spark, when it starts... And he said he'd start a bonfire by one match. One match. And when that, that match starts, and it lights that spark of fire in your heart, and God starts feeding that fire, and God is blessing us and giving us another day, another opportunity to tell others about Christ, and it begins to blaze much. And that spark turns into a wildfire, and it's spread abroad as Amen. we take and further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, you would turn over there. Mark chapter 5, we find the story of the maniac of of the Gadarenes, the maniac of Gadara. The man who had been through all of the world's programs, all of the world's settings, for naught. He's still unclothed, naked in the tombs, cutting himself out of his mind. The world had done everything they could, but God. Jesus. Chapter 4 tells us how Jesus put the disciples in the boat and they came across through the great storm. And their faith was tested and they saw Jesus as he gave them a great calm. Jesus said, peace, be still. And the reason he went through that storm at night was to get to this man. He had just helped multitudes of people on the mountainside. But there was still one more. And there was always one more person that needs to hear about Christ. Jesus came, and we know the story how he healed this man. As only God can do, gave him complete healing right now. If you would turn to me, verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16. And they that saw it told them how it befell to them that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Pause just a second there. Here's a man they've tried everything to help. For nothing, and now God has healed him, and he's sitting there in his right mind, clothed. But Jesus killed our pigs, he killed all of our swine. He needs to get out of here, he needs to leave. Where's our country today? Oh, it's okay to murder babies, but don't you touch a, a duck or an animal out of Don't you touch any of these animals? But it's uh, Anyway, I had to pause there for a moment and slide that in real quick. But in, the, in verse 18, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Here was a man that the only hope he had was Jesus Christ. As every one of us face in this world today, our only hope is Jesus Christ. And Jesus has healed him. He's sitting there clothed in his right mind. And he said, Lord, you're getting in a boat. You're going away. Take me with you. And Jesus said, no, I need you to stay here. I have something for, for you to do. I need you to go back and tell everybody. You see, they want me to leave. 
You see how their opinion is right now, but I need you to get busy telling them and showing them what God did for you. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we're given eternal life at that moment. God could take us home to be with Him right then. But He doesn't. He leaves us here. Because we have a Decapolis around us, a community, a community that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. He leaves us here that we should take the compassion that Christ had on us and show that compassion to the world around us. He said, no, I'm not going to take you with me because I need you to stay here. And that's why God has left us here because we as Christians have a job to do. Amen. A year and a half ago, two years ago, I was in Hazard, Kentucky. And they were having a preacher's conference, and a preacher got up to preach, and he was preaching on um, the, the, the statements that Jesus made as he was dying on the cross. And all of a sudden, he stopped. He said, you know, when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on the, on the colt there, he said all the people were crying out, Hosanna, and praise him. And they told him, stop them. Tell them to stop. And Jesus said, no, I can't. If I tell them to stop, the stones will cry out. Amen. Man, I got to hold my heart. Yeah. It was one of those little things the pastor just slipped in there. But God used that as a break time. We walked outside, and this is up in the mountains of Kentucky, and there were blasts in the road right in front of the church, and there's boulders out there. Some of those boulders are as big as this auditorium, if not bigger. And it's just the whole side mountains are blasting. There's all these stones. And I stood there looking at those, and I began to weep. I say, God, as long as I have breath in these lungs and a voice in my throat, you'll never have to rely on those rocks to cry out because I will be that voice. I will be the one. You didn't die for the rocks. You didn't give your life for those rocks. You didn't come to earth and live a perfect sinless life for them. You weren't tortured and humiliated and shamed and hung on a cross for them. You did that for me. I'll be the one. I'll be that voice. I will take every opportunity, every moment that I have to tell others to publish the great works of a wondrous God. I will be that voice. He said, no, I need you to stay here. I need you to stay here and tell them, show them what I did for you. So then, in Mark chapter 7, as you turn there, when I was about four years old, we lived up in Uniontown, Ohio, on 619 Uniontown, Ohio. My dad had been saved, but had never been discipled, never followed up on. I'm very thankful for your convert cards. Mm-hmm. That's very well done. I've, I've seen multiple ones, but I really like yours. Yes, I'll probably steal it and share it with multiple people. <laughs> But that's what evangelists do. Anyway. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a great idea. We want to, I want to keep using that. Um, but he'd never been followed up on. And so here I am. I'm about four years old. My brother's three. My sister's be five and seven. And we're outside playing. My dad's working on his pickup truck. It's Saturday evening. There's a 15-year-old boy that lived down behind our house, down the hill. There's a house down there. The boy lived down there in a, is a foster home. He was in the foster care. He's playing with us, and all of a sudden, he cursed. When he cussed, my dad turned around. My dad's standing there in his flannel shirt, his denim vest, his blue bottom, his... Uh, Denim, bell-bottom jeans, <laughs> big full beard. And my dad had walked on crutches most of his life up to that point, so his upper body strength was just insane. He turned around and he looked at that young man. And he said, you get off my property and don't you ever come back. And that 15-year-old boy made a very wise decision because the only thing we saw was a trail of dust <laughs> as he went down that hill and in the house. Monday afternoon, my dad's, Gotten home from work Monday evening. He's out there working on his truck. This is when he still drove Ford trucks. He hadn't switched to GM yet, so he had to work on it every single day. But he's out there working on, working on his truck. I'm sorry if anybody drives a Ford. Just, I am somewhat serious because it, it was a Ford truck. But, um, but he's out there working on it. And he hears a voice beside him say, Excuse me, sir. 
He turns around, and there stood that 15-year-old boy. He said, what are you doing here? He said, sir, I'm, I've come to say, I'm sorry. My dad looked at him, he said, what did you say? He said, I came to tell you, I'm sorry. You know, that's one of the hardest phrases in the English language to say and mean. My dad looked at that boy, he said, why did you come? What made you come back to tell me you're sorry? He said, well, you see, yesterday morning I got up and went to my church, and I knew what I'd done was wrong. When the pastor gave the invitation, I walked to the altar, and I was praying. The pastor came down and prayed with me and asked me what was going on. I told him what I'd done. He said, the pastor said, well, if you want God's forgiveness, you need to go back and get that man's forgiveness. And I'm here to say, I'm sorry. My dad said, young man, where do you go, church? You want to guess the next Sunday where my family was sitting at the Canton Road Baptist Temple? It had one center aisle, about four or five rows up. My dad with his good flannel shirt, his good denim vest, and his good bell-bottom <laughs> jeans. My mom, Michelle, Stacy, little Monty, and Mike. Pastor got up and began to preach. He's in the middle of his message. He said, if you've been saved and never baptized, you should be baptized today. Follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Obey God. My dad stood up and started down the middle aisle. At this time, he didn't have to have the cane. He had special boots that had been made for him, but he walked. You know, his, his feet were still out, and he still kind of had, like I said, he was a big man. So several other men stood up and started around, and the pastor said, can I help you? He said, I've been saved, never baptized. You said, we need to get that done. The pastor said, have a seat right here on the front row, and when I'm done preaching, we'll get you baptized. <laughs> that morning, my dad was baptized. He always said, he said, I got a double dose, though, because he did not tell the preacher, preacher that he was crippled. So he went down into baptistry, and when the pastor, who was about, about your side, you really put me, I was going to tell you this the other day, you put me in the mind of Pastor Holland. So here's my dad. So you imagine your pastor baptizing me, and I have no control over my legs. <laughs> so he took him down. He started back up, and my dad's legs kicked out, and they both went under. <laughs> he said, the pastor baptized me, and then I baptized us both. Um, my dad got baptized that morning and went and started discipleship. Sunday night, the pastor at the end of the service announced Sunday night service, 6 o'clock. And guess where our family was at 6 o'clock? He said, Wednesday night after service, we're going to have a workers' meeting. My dad said, service Wednesday, all right. We were there Wednesday night. Went to the workers' meeting. My dad said, what, what can I do? The pastor said, well, you drive truck, right? He said, yeah. He said, can you drive a bus? My dad said, yep. Next Sunday, my dad was driving a bus, picking up kids. Went through discipleship again, teaching class, teaching junior church, teaching Sunday school. And then we know the history there. 32 years, my dad missed one Church service. Thursday. One. All of his meetings, all of his preaching, he missed one service. Yeah. And he never let me live it down. I was about six years old, and I was very high fever, very sick. My mom stayed home Sunday morning. My dad stayed home Sunday night. Until the day he died, he would say, in 32 years, I missed one church service. Monty. <laughs> that was he never let me live it down but because one 15 year old boy was willing to be a man of integrity yes a man of integrity and come and willing to say he was sorry God used that young man to bring my dad into his service with over 32,000 souls trusting Christ I wish I knew that young man's last name. I wish we could find him, but he was moved shortly thereafter. You know, then we weren't thinking about what God had done. You sure think about it a lot now. 
how thankful we are for a 15-year-old boy coming up and talking to my dad and saying, I'm sorry. But in Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, verse 31, the Bible says, And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. He's coming back. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loose, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but... <laughs> The more he charged them, so much the more, a great deal, they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And Luke, I'm going to see if I can find it here real quick. Um, I'm not going to spend, but in Luke... It's okay, Luke chapter 8. Um, there's one verse I just want to read real quick. You got to get to it here. Verse 38. Okay, I'm sorry, let's see. Verse 39. This is he's talking to the maniac there that he had healed. He said, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, these same people that wanted him to leave because he killed their pigs, this time the people gladly received him for they were all waiting for him. Here is this man has been busy. He's been telling everybody, look what Jesus did. Look, he changed my life. He put in me a new heart, a clean mind, and look what Jesus did. And Jesus came back and he found the multitudes were waiting for him to come back. And Jesus told us himself he came to seek and to save the lost, as we as Christians are to be doing as well. And he comes back and they bring to him this man that was deaf and had the impediment. And can you imagine being deaf your entire life? And the first voice you heard was the voice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke unto him, and he heard clearly, and he healed his tongue, and he spoke plainly. And what did he use that voice to to do? To tell others, look what Jesus did for me. The Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. We are to hear what God has for us through the preaching, through the Word of God, as the Spirit of God speaks to every one of us. And we take and we listen to what God has for us, and God loosed his tongue. And God has loosed your tongue today and given you a reason to talk to somebody, a reason to tell others. And we ought to be busy to publish the word, to make known to others what God has done for each and every one of us. In 15, let me see, I want to make sure I get the date right here. 1535, there was a young man born named William Hunter. On our table, we have a 1583 printing of the Fox's Book of Martyrs. That Fox's Book of Martyrs was printed while John Fox was still alive. Wow. He died in 1587. But in that book, there's a story of a, a young man called the Boy Martyr. He was born in 1535, and he was 17 years old. He was raised in a Christian family, but they didn't have the printed Word of God like we do today. They were trying every opportunity they had to find a page, a verse, a chapter, anything they could get. But he was raised according to Scripture, and he was raised correctly. He was taken to church, and they would preach from the Bible. 17 years old, he moved to London. He moved to London to get a job to help support his family. He was there just for a very short time, just a few weeks. And one day the boss comes in and says, all right, tomorrow there's no work. We all, the, the Bishop of London has decreed, we all have to go to the Catholic Church and partake in their communion. That young man said, I cannot. 
and I will not. He said, you have to. The bishop decreed it. You have to do it. He said, I will not because the Bible said, he said, you believe when you're taking communion that that blood turns, or the juice turns into the actual blood of Christ. Right. And the wafer turns into the actual body of Christ. Right. He said, but I believe the Bible when it says this do in remembrance of me. Amen. And I cannot be a part of that. They had him beaten, and they had him arrested, beaten. They put him in stocks for 48 hours out in the town square. They gave him a crust of bread and a small cup of water, which he touched neither, for 48 hours. They had him beaten again and put him on probation and sent him back to his hometown. He lost his job. He lost everything. 17 years old. He's on probation, and they send him back home. His first night that he's there, he gets arrested. You want to know what he's arrested for? He broke into the church and went to the pulpit. They had the chained Bibles. And he was trying to read one page of the Word of God. They had him beaten again, sent home. The next night, he was arrested again for trying to read one page of the Word of God. At this time, he was sentenced to two years in prison. For two years, he was in prison. They would bring him just enough sustenance to keep him alive. And the bishop would sit right outside his cell and have his big meat and potatoes dinner every night and would just sit there and tell him, you could have this for two years. And he said, no. They tried to bribe him. They, they offered him money, everything, if he would just take their communion, and recant his faith. After two years, they brought him out. They marched him down the street. They had a stake, a post put up in front of his house. His parents, his siblings are in the house. They tied him to that stake. They lit the flames. As the flames were taking his life, he, he began quoting Psalm 51. He cried out, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. His last words were, Lord, 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 receive my spirit. He gave his life trying to get one page of the word of God. We have it readily available to us. We have it in our hand, but there are countries that not every person has a copy of the Word of God. They need missionaries. They need Bible printers. They need the Word of God in their language. They need translators. We have a duty as Christians to publish the Word to our Jerusalem, to our Judea, to Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. In Acts chapter 13, verse 46, Six, it says, or verse 44 says, The next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together mm -hmm. to hear mm -hmm. the word of God. Yes, sir. How exciting would that be? Yes, sir. If the whole city of Lancaster would show up here tomorrow morning <laughs> to hear the word of God. We need some chairs. Yes, we need a few more chairs. We'd be having an outdoor meeting in a hurry. But how wonderful that would be. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. Yes, sir. They said, you are not going to speak against our God. You're not going to speak against the word of God. And the Bible says they waxed bold. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Amen. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all that region. That's right. Verse, and then, but the Jews stirred up 
the devout and honorable women and chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They said, we are here to preach the Word of God. We're going to publish the Word of God. We're going to do whatever it takes to get the Word of God to every person that we possibly can, whether it be right here in our hometown and in our whole Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. They said, we are going to publish the Word of God. We're going to make Christ known to every person we can. And they said, so here, of course, there was persecution. There's always persecution against the work of God, but greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. God is greater than all that. He's given us a command to go forward and publish the Word of God to make known Christ. And the Bible says the disciples, through all the persecution, through all of the trials that they were facing, but at the same time, there was people that were receiving Christ, that were trusting Christ, that were getting saved, And the joy that we receive from our salvation is the joy that God has given to us and is renewed in our heart every single time that we get to use our testimony to tell somebody else how they too can know Christ. And the joy is renewed. And the joy of the Lord from our salvation is our strength, the strength to go forward, to keep preaching, to keep telling others, to continue to publish the Word of God. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Ghost right now. Are you yielded to Him? Are you yielded to Him? Are you obeying the Word of God? Are you following what God has for every one of us? Are we doing everything in our, everything in our realm, whatsoever we have, to share the Gospel? Whether it be personally, as we all are to, commanded to do, and financially, to get the missionaries on the field. We worry about our Jerusalem, and we worry about the entire world. Getting the gospel to every creature. Getting the gospel to every person. People today are still trying to get one page of God's word. You've heard the saying, your life may be the only Bible that some will ever read. Are you a person of integrity? Are you trustworthy? Can God trust you with the finances that you will give them to continue his work? Can God trust you to continue your, to use your voice to tell others about Christ? God has given us everything that we have. Everything is from him. And it's to be used to publish the word. To tell others about Christ. Publish to make known to mankind and we have the greatest news that any person will ever hear and we are to be publishing and making him known to all of mankind let's have every head bowed every eye closed God has been so good to us to give us his word God's been so good to us to allow each of us if you're here this morning Christian God has been good good to you Allowed you to hear the gospel. Allowed you to hear the gospel and then you made the decision to trust Christ. You've accepted God's free gift of eternal life. And the joy that comes from that should be your strength to tell others. Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As the piano plays, the altar is open. I ask you